0: Well, if you haven't already seen the sermon title in your program, it's generosity, give it away. And with a sermon title like that, I thought we'd best get a few things straight right at the outset. So here are three reasons not why I'm preaching this sermon. Number one, Amy feels really comfortable telling other people how to spend their money. Not so much. If you think you're slightly uncomfortable as we approach today's topic, imagine how I feel. Number two, the church is not doing well financially, and this is a passive aggressive way of soliciting giving. No, on the contrary, we just finished our fiscal year and we are doing well financially thanks to the generosity of many of you. We'll share more of the specifics of course at our annual meeting this fall. But we don't talk a lot about money at City Church, and when we do, it's out of a desire to take the Bible seriously. I don't know if you are aware, but the Bible talks more about money and material possessions than any other subject. So our topic today isn't, I can fully say, be driven by financial need, but rather by a desire to be obedient to God's word. Number three, no, really, this is a message about financial giving. Actually, this is a message about generosity, and while that includes money and material possessions, it certainly is not limited to that. As I hope to show, we can all become more generous people, regardless of the amount of money we give. No, the real reason we're talking about generosity is because we're concluding our series on character matters. For the last eight weeks, we've been looking at a different character trait of our God and asking how we can embody these traits more in our own lives. Because character does matter. We're seeing some alarming deficits in character today in nearly every sector of society business, government, even nonprofits. The consequences of these deeply embedded flaws often have a ripple effect not only on those closest to the person, friends and family, but also entire organizations and even society at large. But the reverse is also true. One person's life marked by courage, truth-telling, humility, or generosity can have an influence in remarkably significant ways. Today, I want us to look at three verses that give us a good starting place for thinking about generosity. We'll walk through each of these verses, phrase by phrase, and discover six characteristics of generous people. And so, if we want to cultivate generosity more in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll need to focus on any one of these traits in order to see progress. I hope that by the end of our time today, we're each inspired to make some changes either in our mindset or in our behavior, so that we may abound more in generosity. I'm reading now from 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. You can find that on page 1808 in your Pew Bible, or follow along with me as I read the words on the screen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, that is truly life. Command those who are rich in this present world. Question, who is rich in this world? The people who drive BMWs or Teslas? The people with big houses or Cush Bank accounts? The people with cabins, since, which since it's Labor Day weekend, isn't any of us sitting here? <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing. But in our consumer society in North America, we can get such a skewed notion of what it means to be rich. Commodities that were once regarded as superfluous and excessive are now the very basis of our economy. Advertising today doesn't just meet our needs with its products, it invents needs. It's designed to manufacture desires in us we didn't even know we had. I didn't know I needed this Whatever amazing product, until I see it in a store and think, oh, that would really make my life so much better. Add to this the fact that, generally speaking, we tend to surround ourselves with people like us. So it's possible for us to get insulated and out of touch with the reality most of our world is facing. I don't need to belabor the point represented by this pyramid from a recent global wealth report even if the numbers are hard for you to read. You can tell I'm getting old when that's hard for me to read now. There you go. Uh, but I'm guessing most of us in this room would fall in that middle blue band, which is people who make between 10000 and $100,000. Now, a year. Now, if we add that darker blue... <laughs> which is people who make less than $10,000 a day, we are still wealthier than 92% of people in the world. There's only 7.3% of people in the world who make more than 100,000. It is so easy for us to lose sight of this reality. And most companies want us to lose sight of this reality. So we'll continue spending on ourselves. But when we hear this command, those who are rich in this present world, I think it's worth remembering that's each one of us in this room. But there's something else here I want us to see. Something quite beautiful, actually. Most of the time when we think about the people who flocked to Jesus, we think mainly of the poor and the outcasts, those who were marginalized or oppressed. And that's very true. All of those people came to Jesus quite eagerly. And I think that says a lot about Jesus by who was drawn to him. But this verse, since it's written to early Christians in the first century, reminds us there were also quite wealthy people who saw Jesus' life, watched him, and who made a conscious decision to follow him, even though they had great social status and wealth. Oh yes, they may have had it all from a societal standpoint, but clearly they were still missing something. And they found it in Jesus. Whereas others used or, or sought to manipulate them, Jesus simply loved them. They discovered he was, as he claimed, the bread of life and the living water that truly satisfies. Maybe that neighbor whose life seems so put together on the outside is actually struggling in some areas and would be surprisingly open to some encouragement. Or maybe that's where you are today. You've been climbing the corporate ladder, the money's rolling in, the career's taking off, family's going well, and yet something in your life is missing. So why not explore that, what's behind that? As John said, next Wednesday we're gonna kick off Alpha and the very first video we're watching is, is there more to life than this? We'd love to have you join us. Rich, poor, young, old, male, female, ethnicity, eccentricity. It doesn't matter. God loves each person. Real life can be found, but it won't be found in our riches. Command those who are rich in this present age these things. Now he's going to list six characteristics of generous people. And the first is this not to be arrogant. Now, why would Paul say that? Because it's so tempting to look at what we have and think we did it. If I have a good job, it's because, or if we have a good job, it's because we worked hard to get there. We put in long hours for our training and experience whatever. No doubt we did. But the Bible exhorts us to probe even deeper, to peel back the layers and see that at the bottom of it all, is God's generous gifts to us. We can only achieve because of what we have been given. Because our secure family environment enabled us to focus on energy, our energy on learning, not surviving. Because our physical and mental health enabled us to perform successfully rather than with difficulty. Because that person we randomly met took a chance on us, etc., and who is ultimately responsible for these things? God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 7, What do you have that you have not received? What do you have that you have not received? All is gift. I was reading a book this week on gratitude, and the author said something I thought was really true, albeit counter to our North American culture, which prizes self sufficiency. He said, the strongest and brightest of us are fragile as a floating bubble, unsteady as a newborn kitten on a waxed kitchen floor. If we keep our footing in the shaky space between our arrival and departure of this world, we owe our survival, not to mention our success, to many other people who held us up and helped us crawl or fly or just muck our way through and to God, who keeps breathing life into our lungs the way a child keeps puffing air into a leaking balloon. And the result of having this all-is-gift mentality is that we naturally overflow with generosity. When we are constant benefactors of God's gift to us, there's no limit to what we give. The people of Israel modeled this mentality when presenting their gifts to build God's temple. Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. If it's all from him anyway, why wouldn't we give it back to him? And so the first quality we see of generous people is generous people have an all is gift mentality. Maybe you will want to sit with that this week. Maybe the best place for you to start becoming more generous is not to give it all yet, but simply ask yourself that hard question this week, what do I have that I have not received? And then to thank God as the giver of all good gifts. So the rich are not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Many of us have lived long enough to know that's true. We can be rolling in the dough one moment and the next it's gone. The market crashed. The investment didn't yield the dividends we anticipated. The position was eliminated. The bill from the hospital was higher than we thought and insurance isn't covering it. The policy changed. It can all be gone in an instant. See, money gives us a false sense of security. It gives us the illusion that we have more control than we really do. At the end of the day, regardless of how much money we have, we're still frail humans. James makes this point when he exhorts both rich and poor not to put too much stock in their positions since they will pass away like a wildflower. Listen to this word image. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade even as they go about their business. We don't like to think about it, but none of us, none of us can escape the reality that we will all die one day. No amount of money can control that. And the question then remains, what have we lived for? To make a name for ourselves? To make a ton of money? Reality check, Paul says, just a few verses before the one we're looking at today. We brought nothing into this world, and we're going to take nothing out of it. Tell the rich not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in riches, which are so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Why? Because he's the only one who can really satisfy. If we put our hope and trust in money, we'll be disappointed. God knows this. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. And he knows that while money is a great gift, it is a poor God. God knows a competitor when he sees one. That's why Jesus addresses this directly in Matthew 6 when he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, whatever you treasure most is going to drive all that you do. So treasure the right things because you can't have both. You can't serve both God and money. Choose wisely. And Jesus, knowing this about human nature and knowing what truly satisfies, doesn't want to see us get hurt. The apostle Paul reinforces the same idea just a few verses before our passage today when he urges the church not to make getting rich their aim. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered far from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice it's not money itself that's dangerous. It's the love of it, making it our end goal, arranging our lives around that priority. I think it's probably safe to say we both, we all know this is true, both statistically and anecdotally. Rather than securing themselves with money, a generous person puts their hope and trust in God. They're marked by a dependence on Him. And they do this whether they have a little or a lot. They trust God to both provide and to satisfy. When in need, they look to God to provide. When in plenty, they look to God to satisfy. So let me ask this morning, what or who are we really putting our trust in? What are we striving for? What do we depend on? Or who do we turn to in times of difficulty? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that this phrase is in here. Because without it, we might be tempted to think God wants us all to be ascetics, that we should give all our money away, live in rags, never splurge on anything. But a truly generous person is able to receive God's gifts with thanksgiving. We aren't to cling to our goods, but we don't need to feel guilty about them either. I appreciated one ethicist's words about gratitude this week. He said, the world is too bent for unshadowed joy. Meaning, no, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And it's our job to be God's agents of justice and mercy in the world. But that doesn't mean we can't still have moments where we enjoy the gifts he has given us. The breathing of our children in their beds at night, a trip to the grocery store that stocks up the kitchen, the ability to pay our rent one more month, the job we'd prayed for. These are all gifts. If we're going to be generous people, we will be marked not only by how we give, but by how we receive. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. James 1 17. Now, of course, caution is advised. The line between need and want is very thin. There is a time to fast and a time to feast, a time for moderation and a time for celebration. So long as we are exercising both, we can give thanks for what we have received. Fourth, a generous person is rich in good deeds. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. I love this wordplay. You wanna get rich? Get rich in good deeds. Don't become known for what you have, but for what you give. Get people's attention not by what you possess, but in how you help and serve them. This is so freeing. It takes the focus off just material possessions. Anybody can do this, even if you do not have an income, regardless of where we are. An elderly neighbor has surgery and you offer to walk their dog for a few days. A classmate is sick from school and you send them their notes unsolicited. A friend is facing some medical tests and you sit with her in the waiting room. A family has welcomed a baby and you bring them a meal. So as a step towards cultivating generosity in our lives, what do you have that you can offer? Maybe you're retired, so you have a little more time than you used to. How can you use that time for others? Maybe you've got some skills that would be a huge benefit to others. There are a number of ways you can serve both within and outside of City Church, and we would love to help you explore how you can be a part of God's work and contribute what you have. Fifth, while not limited to material possessions, generosity does include that. A generous person is willing to share what they have. It's true, generosity is an inward disposition of the heart more than it is simply a behavior. But this mindset must also be accompanied by outward manifestation. If we focus only on outward behavior, we'll degenerate into empty legalism. And if we focus only on inward attitude, we're kind of naive. For as Richard Foster says, the inner reality is not a reality until there is an outward expression. We can talk all we want about depending on God and not money, but we don't really experience that reality until we start giving money away and have less padding in the savings account. We must, in a very real sense, put our money where our mouth is. We must actually give it away to release its hold on us. But even though there must be some outward manifestation, the Bible doesn't encourage equal giving, as in we all give the same amount. It encourages proportionate giving. Here's two examples of that. Deuteronomy 16, 17. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord God has blessed you. 2 Corinthians 8:12, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Some of you here today give regularly a portion of what God has given to you, to this church and to other ministries, and we simply want to say thank you. Because of your generosity, we're able to do the work God has called us to do, to provide meals 10 weeks for people who want to know about Jesus, to help 165 kids in the neighborhood learn that God is with them wherever they go through VBS, and on and on. I hope you've been encouraged by seeing God at work through your generosity. But some of you here today may want to begin a habit of giving. Now, I do believe in what City Church is doing. um, So I think it's a good organization to give to. But I realize that can sound self-serving and I don't want that to be a hindrance. So you can give here or you can give to another organization. But find an organization you trust and believe in its mission and start giving a portion of what you earn. A general rule of thumb over time has been a tithe or 10% of one's income. I do not think we are wedded to that amount today, given what the Bible says, but that's a decent starting place. It's enough to curb our spending some, but not so much we can't pay our bills. Now, maybe 10% seems outrageous to you. You give one right now. Maybe you will strive to give three this year, 3% and 5% and slowly increase that over time. Others of you may find 10% isn't enough. It's too little. You can live on 70% of your income. Go nuts. I think you'll find that as you do this, your hope and trust in God will grow as you see him actively engaged in meeting your needs. Now, some of you, i realize may be here feeling completely overwhelmed by the topic of giving. Your finances are a mess. Maybe you struggle with impulse spending. And if that's you, maybe the place for you to start is not to give, but to commit not to spend, to decrease your debt, God cares about this. He does not want you to be weighted down by that burden. And we have people in our church who have skills in this area and are gonna offer a cash management course later this fall to help us with that. So you can be looking for more information on that in the coming months. But maybe your commitment today is just not to spend anything beyond food and gas, basic necessities, for the next 30 days. And that would be a great place for you to start. Sixth, and finally, a generous person gives because it's good for them. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, this is the great secret of giving. When you give to others, you are actually the one who receives, you experience the blessing. Many of you here have experienced the deep joy that comes from giving of your time or talents or treasure to something and watching it make a difference. It's deeply gratifying to know your contribution is influencing things. When we give of ourselves to God's work, we're making an investment in something that not only has consequences for this life, but for the life to come as well. An investment, unlike money, that, as Peter says, can never perish, spoil, or fade. But generosity isn't just good for the recipient, it's good for the giver. It's good for us to have the all is gift men- mindset, not just because gratitude produces greater levels of happiness in brain activity, as we are learning today, but because it's actually true. When we have a habit of giving regularly, we learn to put our hope and trust in God, and we will not be disappointed When we give our time to contribute to something greater than ourselves, we're knitted into a community and we get filled up. I chuckled at a USA Today article from several years ago when one writer, after examining the studies indicating giving of time and money actually boosts happiness, wrote, given how much people spend on pursuing happiness these days, tithing might be a relative bargain. (laughs) What if real life were found in giving ourselves away? what if a generous life is actually the good life? City Church, let us take hold of the life which is really life. Let us have an all is gift mentality. Let us put our hope and trust in God to provide and to satisfy. Let us receive with thanksgiving the good gifts he has given. Let us live generously in all aspects of our lives, our money to be sure, but our time, talents, our words, our spirits as well, that those around us might come to know the gracious, generous love of our God, who gladly welcomes all, rich and poor, into his kingdom. Let's pray. Oh, God, you know this strikes at the core to each one of us. We want to grasp our sticky little paws all over what we have, as if we did it. Would you pry our fingers off at all? The money, the bank accounts, the time, the gifts, the skills that we may have eyes to see where to contribute to your work in the world, to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, because, boy, does our world need it. And, boy, won't it be good for us. Help us in this, we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.